Hi, welcome back to Litcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. Well, I got a wonderful surprise in the mail last week. I'm still kind of pinching myself. I actually hardly believe it. I picked up my mail and I was happy to see a copy of Educational Leadership Magazine. Now, that's not too remarkable because, you know, my subscription comes every month, but I was flipping through the pages and I was scanning kind of through all the articles deciding what I wanted to read when I came to the tell us about section. Now, this is the section where readers, um, you know, you can write in answers to a question that they post each month. And this month's question was, what are some small out-of-the-box ways you get helpful professional learning? Now, the reason I was so excited was because Litcentric Radio was a featured answer in the magazine. And I had a photo, too. So I actually wrote in, you know, over a month ago and didn't think anything more about it. And then there was my picture staring back at me, uh, you know, from one of my favorite magazines. So it was too cool. So here's what I wrote. Podcasts have been a great source of learning for me. In addition to education podcasts, I listen to podcasts from varied disciplines, including business, science, and government. I love podcasts so much that I was inspired to start my own. It's called Eccentric Radio, a literacy podcast for elementary teachers. The teachers I've connected with from my audience continue to teach me and inspire my work as an educator. Best of all, most podcasts are on demand and free. So I still think this is really, really cool. I'm still pretty giddy about it, actually. And in fact, I'm so excited and so pleased that I want to celebrate with you. So I'm actually giving away a copy of today's text, a chair for my mother, and the Matching Litcentric Radio lesson free to one lucky listener. Now to enter, you're going to have to do a couple of things. First, I want you to go to Instagram. There's a post there with a picture of the book, uh, A Chair for My Mother, and it says giveaway. The same post can actually be found on the Litcentric.com Facebook page. So make sure to look at those posts and follow the entry instructions really carefully because you actually have a lot of chances to win. So I'll announce the winner on Friday, February 19th, 2021 at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So make sure you enter before then. Good luck. All right. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at flashbacks with the text, A Chair for My Mother. Now, this is a Caldecott honor book, and it was featured on Reading Rainbow. And I'm sure that that's actually how I was introduced to the book, because I remember that episode as a kid and really liking the book so much. So I was so excited to get my own copy later on. And as you remember, this season, uh, season six of Eccentric Radio, we're focusing on classroom classics, either classics that we've all kind of grown to love over the years, or some new books that I think are destined to become classroom classics. And this one is actually from 1982, so definitely kind of on the throwback side of things. But why I love this book so much, you know, the painted illustrations are really expressive and they bring the story to life. And it's a very real story because it's a story of tragedy and loss, but without being overly sad. So it really strikes the bright tone, I think, for kids. And I was really fascinated as a kid with this story because it's really so different from my own life experience. And I think I was really interested in that. What I like to use this book for is teaching kids about flashbacks. So remember when a narrative plot is interrupted by a character's memory of a past event. That's what we're really talking about today. And, you know, these are really important to point out to kids because sometimes kids don't catch on to the fact that 
there's a change in time happening in the story. And certainly if they go to write this and try to write a flashback scene, it can be really challenging. So we're going to focus on helping students to understand uh, how those work and try some out for themselves. So let's take a look at today's text, A Chair for My Mother. So this book is told in first person, which we know is pretty rare in children's books. And it's an elementary aged girl who tells the story of her family. And that includes herself, her mom and her grandma. And they live in the city and her mom is a waitress at a local diner. And right away we're introduced to something really important. It's a big jar the family's using to collect coins. And we soon learn that the family's collecting coins to save up and buy a new chair. They're looking for a big, beautiful, soft chair they can cuddle up in and, and relax in because they lost everything in a fire not too long ago. Now, the flashback that occurs is when the girl talks about the actual fire and the family's first steps that they take at rebuilding their lives. And it's clear that they were really lucky to have generous friends and family to help them along the way. But even with all that generosity, they still don't have a sofa or a chair for their living room. Then they flash forward again to the present day and to the money jar, that big coin jar. And once it was finally full, they were able to buy the chair of their dreams. One of the things I really like about this book is that the dreams that they have, you know, for their future are, you know, simple things that I think a lot of us would take for granted, like a soft, cozy chair. So I like the fact that dreams don't always have to be these big you know, imaginary life goals. It can be just a simple goal that you're working towards, something that would make life a little bit better, whether for yourself or someone else. And I think um, I like that kind of that scale of dream uh, in this text. I think it's a good one for, uh, for us to model for kids. focus on flashbacks today, I mentioned that flashbacks can be quite challenging for kids. Uh, first of all, challenging to understand this interruption to a narrative plot, because lucky for us, a lot of our students understand narrative plots pretty well because they've been read to enough, either at school and, and at home, different combinations of that, and they start to understand a basic story structure, that predictability. But a flashback really is a true interruption to that structure. And uh, it's not, it not only interrupts it and sends it in a different direction, but it reverses and then takes us back to where we left off again, kind of like how a meanwhile does, you know, in the middle of a story. So it's something important for our students to understand because especially our students who don't, maybe they're not keeping track of, uh, you know, how the plot is working and how the problem and solutions coming about. Another thing that can be challenging for students is if they're having a hard time tracking the verb tenses in a story, because most of the time in a story that would be past tense, right, in narrative, but sometimes um, stories will transition, um, you know, between more like present tense kind of language and then into past tense in the flashback and then back to present tense, which is actually the case in this text. And so those changes in tenses, sometimes students don't pick up on. And uh, really, those are good clues to let us know if something already happened or not, right? But a lot of our students won't pick up on those small language features like that, especially our English learners. That can be a particular challenge. So the first thing I want to do is really have my students understand what a flashback is, what the purpose is, and um, you know why authors choose to um, use that feature sometimes in books that we read. 
I like to give students examples of um, when they've seen flashbacks, maybe in like television and movies, because that is a device that gets used a lot um, in those genres. And a really easy one that I think a lot of kids would understand is an example of in Harry Potter. So um, if you know those stories at all or those movies at all, you know that later on in the series, Harry Potter is talking to his headmaster, Dumbledore, and Dumbledore has a special um, device called a pensieve. And um, it's basically where he can take Harry with him back into his memories and see an event from the past, and then they come back out again to the present day. So it works exactly like a flashback, but in this way, Harry actually experiences the flashback along with the person, you know, who had the original memory. So it's the same basic idea for a flashback. And that's one of our text-dependent questions is, why did the author actually flash back to the time of the fire? Because the girl could have just told the story and said, oh yeah, we had a fire and this, you know, and then we were looking for a chair. But the flashback really brings readers back in time to that emotional experience that the, the girl and her family had. And it really kind of uh, drives home this sense of why this chair is so important to them, why they're really dreaming of something that seems very simple and something that, you know, again, we take for granted. So the flashback is a device that really helps us connect with the experiences and events, um, you know, that characters have. So we're going to use our bridge chart today as a way to model for students how we can summarize the story in its, in its entirety and it's an original um, sequence and then help them to understand how that flashback really differs and where it's inserted in the story and how that change in time happens. Because students are going to be asked to do something similar in the writing task today. So I really want to make sure that this is modeled for them and that I've taken them and guided them through this experience um, with the scaffolding and supports that they need so that they can try to duplicate this. Um, on their own later and that the thinking that they generate and the collective meaning that we come up with in our bridge chart experience that can actually they can take it forward and apply it in a new way. So to build this bridge chart we're going to divide the story into three different sections. And this is pretty easy to do in this story because we've got the first part of the story which is the present day then the flashback is the center of the story and then finally we come back to present day when they buy the chair. So it divides up really nicely. And what we're going to do is summarize each of those sections and actually write them out. So I don't want to do all that thinking uh, for my students. I want to involve them as much as possible. Some of the ways I might do that is a quick turn and talk to a partner and ask them to think about, you know, what was the first thing, you know, that happened in the story? How did it start? We can, of course, refer to the text, especially the illustrations to jog our memories. I might also have students maybe with a whiteboard, work with a partner or two and do a quick sketch of some of the things they remember, share that with each other. Any way I can get them involved in actively thinking so that I'm not doing the heavy lifting of that. I'm just there to guide that thinking. Another way I might do that, especially if I have students who are a little more um, advanced in the sense of they know how to work successfully with a group where I don't have to be monitoring every move, um, I can actually assign groups to work on different sections. So if there's three different sections, I could divide the class into three or even, you know, divide them, you know, a couple different ways, give two groups, one section, whatever, however you want to do it. But you can actually divide it that way so that kids actually work on summarizing it with their peers and you're just there kind of monitoring the situation and then bringing everybody back together. So there's lots of ways to do this depending on the age of your students and their abilities and um, how much they can handle independently. 
So we write those summaries of the three different sections on separate colored paper. It doesn't really matter the colors, um, just as long as they're um, obviously different from one another. And uh, you can use large pieces of construction paper if you want, or even just eight and a half by 11 pieces of colored paper is fine. And uh, once students summarize the sections for you, um, you're gonna go ahead and write down some of the things that they say so that on the chart, we have this kind of collective summary that we've all worked on together and that you've made sure that this, the summaries are accurate um, and that they get you know, posted correctly because we're gonna be building off of this um, and we wanna make sure it's correct. So once the summaries are written on the colored paper, you know, just with a black marker or something, we're gonna display them on the chart. So just grab a glue stick or piece of tape and you're gonna tape them in the order that they appeared in the story, right? So, you know, first we learned about the, the coin jar, then the flashback, and then the purchase of the chair. So those will go ahead and get listed in that order. Then what I wanna talk with students about is that the actual order of events in this, in this girl's life do not play out in the same way. Because remember that flashback goes back to a time in her life that already happened before, you know, the coin jar appeared. So what I'm going to do is talk with students about that flashback. We'll identify it as the centerpiece of paper, whatever color we've chosen. Usually a color that stands out really differently than the other two is a good idea. And what I'll actually do with them, you know how normally you would, um, you would sequence a story and maybe write, you know, this is the first thing that happened, the second thing, the third. So like one, two, three. Well, in this case, we're not gonna write one, two, three. We're gonna write two, one, three. Because remember the flashback actually happens first and that's the first event out of the sequence of events. So that, the, that middle uh, paper that we've written, that middle summary technically is the first event. So I wanna talk that through with students so I can really reinforce this idea that a flashback is really going back in time to a previous event um, and it's inserted in somewhere in the story and disrupts that natural kind of sequence flow. So doing that visually in this way is a one way to really kind of cement that in students' uh, minds. Now, another way to cement this idea is to actually peel off those papers and reorder them. So you may not want to glue them down actually with a glue stick, maybe just a piece of tape or a magnet or something, um, but if you actually pull that number one middle flashback section out and move it to the top so that your sequence is now one, two, three, when you read it, it should actually play out the way that the, that the character originally experienced it, right? She had this fire, they get a coin jar, then they buy a chair. So that is actually how her life played out. So by reordering it, we can show students, here's what her experience was like, but when she tells us about it, we're coming into the story in the second part of that, right? So we can then put it back together in that two, one, three order again, and just reinforce that idea of how she took that memory and inserted it in the center of the story. So I really want to get that really tactile, you know, palpable experience for them so they understand that this flashback doesn't come out of nowhere, that it's purposeful. And what it really represents is that, you know, those moments in time that have already occurred. Now, the other thing to focus on with students, you can stop there with your bridge chart and just talk that through with students. But if you really want them to take this new understanding into developing something new, like a writing task, you're gonna to have to give them some language support to do so. Because transitioning back and forth between flashbacks is not necessarily easy to do. And a lot of my students, they wouldn't necessarily have some of the transitional language that they need to make that happen. So 
In addition to this bridge chart, I'd probably make a second one, or if I had room on this bridge chart, I could label it. But I'd like to make another one that actually has some sentence stems so that students have some language to choose from when they talk about a flashback in a narrative. Now, as you know, in every episode of Litcentric Radio, there's a matching lesson um, that's available for purchase. And this lesson has a slightly different uh, writing paper included with it because I'm trying to reinforce with kids um, the transitions that they're going to need in order to um, have their own narrative flashback scenario. So what they're going to need is some language and some prompting for first they have to set up the memory. Then they need a transition to the past where we can understand this flashback experience. Once the flashback experience has been told, we need an, an additional transition back to the present. So all of that is language that my students are going to need. So some phrases that might help students transition to the past and, and kick off that flashback are things like, uh, I remember that day, or that wasn't so long ago, or when I was little, or I remember it clearly. Those kind, That kind of language, those transitional phrases are how we uh, signal to a reader that we're moving from uh, the present in a story back to you know a past event. Then to transition back to the present again, it's kind of like back to the future with Marty McFly, <laughs> I'm just realizing. Um, so we go back to the future, back to the present, um, with some slightly different transitional language, like now things are different, or today it's not the same, or but that's over now. So we're, we're really kind of drawing a line in the sand and, and indicating that we have now uh, shifted back to the present and that things you know have changed, right? So that's something that we want to make sure kids um, understand. That is not something I would expect my students to pick up on on their own, especially when they have very little experience with flashbacks. So that's some language support I would definitely want to provide. And like I said, the writing paper in today's lesson actually has spaces for students to borrow some of that language, lift it right off the bridge chart, and apply it into their own writing, because that's something we want to support them to do. It's a temporary support. Eventually, they can adopt language like that on their own. But for a lesson like this that really is requiring students to write their own flashbacks, that's a really challenging thing to ask them to do. So they really deserve to have those additional supports to make sure they can be as successful as possible. So that's our lesson and text for today. Now, don't forget, head over to Litcentric's Instagram account or the litcentric.com Facebook page, or both actually, and look for the giveaway post that has a picture again of a chair for my mother. And it says, big letters says giveaway on it. And all the directions that you need to follow are right there. Like I said, you have a really good chance of winning. There's all these different ways to enter to give you multiple chances. And, you know, it's not like I have a million listeners, you guys, so or like a million followers. So if only, you know, I mean, even if everybody entered, you know, who listens to the show, you're still have a really, really good chance of winning. So it's worth it to take a few minutes to do that. Um, I really, you know, wish you the best of luck. Someone's going to get a brand new copy of the book and um, a digital version of that lesson free of charge just to say thank you and to help celebrate the podcast. And thank you again for tuning in week after week and for sharing Litcentric Radio with your friends. I really, really appreciate it. I do this for you. So I'm glad you're listening. Make sure you enter before Friday, uh, February 19th, 2021, because that's when the announcement's going to happen that afternoon. All right, we'll see you next time. Have a great day at school.